And welcome to Interfaith Talk Radio, being brought to you by Dr. Pat Worldwide on Alternative Talk 1150 AM and streaming at interfaithtalkradio.com. We are continuing a dialogue on the expansion of interfaith understanding and a shared spiritual quest. We are a rabbi, a Muslim minister, and a Christian pastor. I am Rabbi Ted Falcon. I am Brother Jamal Rahman from Interfaith Community Church. And I'm Pastor Don McKenzie from University Congregational United Church of Christ in and, Seattle. And I already forgot to say I'm from Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue. And we are here to share with you a deepening dialogue of interfaith understanding. You are welcome to become part of the show by calling in if you'd like to take the numbers right now for use a little later in the show. Our number is 425-373-5527. And toll free in Western Washington, 888 888- Two nine eight five five six nine, and we have an interesting and exciting show today. We have a guest, Valerie Tarico, who has written a book called *The Dark Side: How Evangelical Teachings Corrupt Love and Truth*. And before we bring her into the conversation, we thought that we could talk a little bit about what we see as the fundamental fundamentalist tendencies within our own traditions. And we're sitting here, <laughs> everybody's pointing at each other to wonder exactly well, who's going to start. Well, I, I was laughing because, uh, you know, in the Islamic tradition, it used to be said when there were fundamentalists, and they've always been around, and actually they say statistically in Islam, it's been about, uh, you know, I don't know how they calculated, about 4% of the population there, the fundamentalists. And they win about 4 and 5% of the votes. And the saying was, it's all fireworks and no light. Mm. But today, because of the worldwide circumstances and situation, it's not really a, a religious movement. It's become a political movement, a military movement, which really seeks power and domination. Whether it's Islamic or Christian or Jewish and that is what is disturbing actually in a sense they've become merchants of hope in this world and the next world and they've become uh, merchants of uh, fear really basing their work on this fear that they arouse from the Islamic world is that Islam is under attack Mm. For the West, the way the, the Muslims perceive it, uh, for Christians it's, or for U.S. citizens, it's that you know, we're being attacked by terrorists. Our democratic values are threatened. Uh, there is that fear aspect. And the, the sad thing about fundamentalists is that, for, for uh, non-fundamentalists, is that they really package their agenda with legitimate causes of the people. Right. And they give it a religious twist, or they give it some other name like democracy or you know, wonderful values everybody espouses. 
And that is a great danger if we can't separate the legitimate grievances from the agenda of fear and false hope. So when you use the word fundamentalist yes. with respect to the Muslim tradition, what, what does that mean operationally? Like what would be their base beliefs? Uh, uh, you know, I'm talking about what is wrongly called actually jihadists. Mm. The one who, for instance, it's a very small percentage who believe that if we go back to the old system of the caliphate system in the Islamic world, things will be much better. But really, even in the fundamentalist movement, there's a huge range. Liberal fundamentalists and extreme, extreme right-wing fundamentalists. It's very confusing when we lump it all into one, actually. But basically, the fundamentalists would be coming from a place of feeling that they have the essential truth they believe that given they're filling up a vacuum actually a vacuum of helplessness hopelessness they're selling hope yes they have the answers and it is only by going back to the literal pure interpretation of the quran that we'll find this freedom right as i listen i'm thinking i have no idea what the statistics are on jewish fundamentalism but I see two tracks. Like on the one hand, there are those people whose uh, focus on traditional motifs of practice draw them away from the political arena. You know, so it's like they almost don't want to have anything to do with it because that's the impure world. They want to have less to do with this world and more to do with the world as it's supposed to be, with creating the context in which... Um, in, in Jewish tradition, the ultra-Orthodox have the belief that the, the temple will be rebuilt, that that will be the context in which the new Jerusalem will be born, and ultimately a messianic era will, be, will evolve. And then you've got other, others whose fundamentalism does move into politics, uh, very much so claiming territory on biblical grounds and very certain of their claims which which seems what cuts across both kinds of responses is a kind of certainty mm -hmm. just a surprising kind of certainty and, and you know i i'm i'm suddenly aware that depending on how the word fundamentalist is defined I'm a fundamentalist in the sense that basically I'm sure, pretty sure I'm right about what I believe. And so I can't uh, say, well, they're wrong and I'm I mean, you know, the, the tendency for me as a liberal Christian would be to say, well, I'm right. But I need to know more about where they're coming from. And the thing that for me that makes it the most difficult, and I really appreciate what both of you have said so far, is that the difference has life and death consequences for people in topics like war and peace, abortion, homosexuality, criminal justice, capital punishment, and so forth. I mean, those are hugely important things that we, and we have opinions about them on both sides of the fence, and they affect people deep, at deep levels. Well, yeah, there's a there's a tendency with fundamentalism of any type to polarize a community. Uh, to define oneself as part of a group that knows or part of the group that doesn't know. Part of the group that's saved, part of the group that's not saved. Part of the group that has the connection to God, 
part of the group that's lost their connection to God. And it's kind of like the fundamentalists tend to make the rules. And it seems to me that, yes, we're all fundamentalists in the sense that we all consider the way we look at the world to be the accurate way. But it feels to me like some of us are more interested in a kind of inclusivity where there can be people who don't agree, but we're still part of the same world. We're still dealing with some of the same issues. We need each other. And the notion of casting out people according to because of their beliefs or because of their differing beliefs is less appealing. Hmm. Well, I think the other thing, I just wanted to comment, Ted, the other, um, Rabbi Ted, the other word you used was certainty. And I, th- I think that in a time of dramatic uncertainty, which is a time like this, uh, we, we all long for more certainty. I mean, everybody, there's no we, they on that. It's just how, we, how that works itself out that makes a huge difference. I just wanted to say that when we become overzealous, Mm-hmm. We really become blind. We become less and less aware. That story which you both have heard so many times that my grandfather loved to say, doesn't matter if you're liberal or deeply conservative, if you become so fundamentalist in your stubbornness, uh, in your rigidity, it's like that sincere monkey who makes it his lifelong mission to pluck the fish out of the ponds to save them from a watery grave. And that's basically what happens. But the the other part I wanted to mention is the danger is that these radical fringe extremist movements, they have actually military power. Not only in the East, also in the West. The perception is that the neocons here have the entire might of the U.S. government, the U.S. military, as with the arms with the fundamentalists over there. That's what it looks like. We are talking about the range of fundamentalist expression in all of our faiths. And in a few moments, we are going to be welcoming Valerie Tarico, who has written a book called The Dark Side, How Evangelical Teachings Corrupt Love and Truth. And we will be entering more deeply into her experience what prompted her to write this book, and some of her own experiences with her evangelical background and where she's come to. So stay with us. You will be hearing in a few moments from some of our sponsors. I'd like to remind you that for those of you who would like to help support us in this Interfaith Talk Radio enterprise and experiment, we would welcome you as sponsors and uh, consider it an honor. In the meantime, please uh, give some attention to those who are supporting us, and we'll be back in a moment. Do you suffer from stress, headaches, back pain, digestive pain, or other chronic problems? Allow Sue Woodward to help you realize the vitality and wholeness your body naturally wants to express using gentle, restorative methods. Sue invites you to call her at the Acupuncture and Healing Arts Clinic for a free consultation. 425-451-8129. That's 425-451-8129. 
If you're striving toward better health and wellness, don't miss the Alive Expo, Saturday and Sunday, October 21st and 22nd at the Seattle Center Exhibition Hall. Attend lectures by leading experts in natural medicine, watch healthy cooking demonstrations, get a free massage, and receive tons of free product samples. If a natural and organic approach to nutrition, fitness, and wellness are important to you, you have to attend the Alive Expo at the Seattle Center Exhibition Hall, Saturday and Sunday, October 21st and 22nd. For more details or to order tickets, visit AliveExpo.com. That's AliveExpo.com. Want to get out of the rat race and stay out? Let Mary Hendrickson, cash flow specialist from First Horizon Home Loans, show you how. Mary takes 27 years of successful banking and brokering and turns them into stepping stones that pave the way to your financial independence. All loans closed for Dr. Pat Show listeners receive a $300 reduction in closing costs. Call Mary today at 425-576-2249 and begin your path to financial freedom. That's 425-576. The University Congregational United Church of Christ, located at 4515 16th Avenue Northeast, right across from the Burke Museum, wants you to know that it is a liberal and inclusive congregation waiting to welcome you to worship, education, fellowship, and service. We need your help to say yes to God's purposes. For more information, log on to universityucc.org. That's universityucc.org. Or call 206 206- 524-2322. That's 206-524-2322. Are you ready to kick your life up a notch? Tired of just surviving? The award-winning Dr. Pat Show, Talk Radio to Thrive By, is your way to living the life you want without regrets, without limitations. This empowering, inspirational show with dynamic host Dr. Pat Basili will leave you shouting, yes, I can. Dr. Pat is a master career and belief coach, dynamic seminar leader, and creator of Crust Busting. Listen to the Dr. Pat Show on AM 1150 KKNW, Monday through Friday, 11 to noon, and worldwide on www.thedrpatshow.com. The search is over. You found the station that's not afraid to be different. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And welcome back to Interfaith Talk Radio on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Please remember that we are streaming at interfaithtalkradio.com, where you can also join us for some dialogue. So if you have comments about our shows or questions, or if you'd like to listen to some of the archived shows that are uh, available there, interfaithtalkradio.com. And we are here uh, today with Dr. Valerie Tarico. She has recently written a book called The Dark Side, How Evangelical Teachings Corrupt Love and Truth. Valerie was raised in a staunch fundamentalist family. She attended Wheaton College, which is a bastion of evangelical education, she she says. And she is now a psychologist and author in Seattle, Washington. Dr. Tarico draws on her scientific training and her background as a born-again evangelical to examine questions about faith, truth, and compassion. And she defines herself as a spiritual non-theist, which really kind of inspires me even to consider how those words go together. So, Valerie, welcome to Interfaith Talk Radio. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Rabbi Ted. It's good to be here. And we thought you might want to begin by just talking a little bit about your book, about 
the dark side, how evangelical teachings corrupt goodness and truth. The book is a project that I've been working on for a couple of years. My Prior to that time, I was full-time or part-time dividing my time between a psychotherapy practice and parenting and it became clear to me that there were some things going on in our society that were undermining what I was trying to accomplish in the world in the sense of trying to make people's lives better um, both in my volunteer efforts in my giving and in my in my profession and um, so I decided that I wanted to try to do something more leveraged about that and and part of that it kind of specifically was that it became clear to me that that belief structures that I had grown up in beliefs that I considered ultimately harmful and destructive were not only kind of gaining momentum around me but were actually dictating social policy and um, and and I was frustrated by that and alarmed by that um, because as as an ex-evangelical I believe in the power of those beliefs um, so it that triggered me to sit down um, and to make an attempt to articulate some of the issues that had caused evangelical religion to become morally and rationally untenable for me what, what were some of the things that you perceived to be dangerous about my sense is that evangelical religion that in general ideology has tremendous power to shape our priorities and that religious ideologies have tremendous power to shape our moral priorities. Mm-hmm. And if I had to put it in a in a in a word, I would kind of borrow what Sam Harris has said in his kind of um, allegations about kind of uh, about religion more generally, about fundamentalist religion specifically. That what it does is it separates moral impulses and instincts and emotions from real questions of suffering or well-being. Hmm. I just uh, I noticed that Pastor Don kind of left the definition of Christian evangelism and fundamentalism for waiting for you to come on to the show. So how how do you define fundamentalism and how do you define evangelical? When growing up, growing up evangelical, growing up within fundamentalist Christianity. I thought that was the only kind of Christianity that there was. And in fact, m- most Christians um, are, are taught that theirs is the one true form of Christianity. And, um, and so when I first started writing, I thought I was writing about Christianity. And then I send the manuscript to some friends who said, well, that's not my Christianity. Mm. And um, so, so basically, f- and then I said, well, am I talking about Christian orthodoxy? But people don't know what the word orthodoxy means. Am I talking about fundamentalism? People don't think of themselves as fundamentalists. And ultimately, I settled on evangelicalism because that is what I grew up in. Um, now, most evangelicals don't call themselves evangelicals. It's becoming more common to do so. But most of the time, they simply call themselves Christians, which is part of what leads to the illusion when they speak publicly, when they speak politically, that they are speaking for Christianity as a whole. Valerie, do, do, they, do they ever use the term fundamentalist? I mean, would, would anyone refer to himself or herself as a fundamentalist? I'm suddenly wondering. Well, the term fundamentalism itself comes out of the early part of the 20th century, as I understand it, out of a series of pamphlets um, that were written by people who were alarmed by scholarly 
um, trends and modernism in Christianity by the fact that Christianity was being reassessed in light of findings in the fields of biology, anthropology, archaeology, linguistics, etc. And they were wanted um, to reiterate to kind of take a stance that people needed to return to what they thought of as the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And um, so basically what, what, what they did is they kind of laid out these fundamentals, which are in a sense the heart of, of orthodoxy, Christian orthodoxy traditionally, um, with a few additions perhaps, or with the kind of a few kind of things tightened up or tweaked a bit. Um, Back then, there were a number of people who did call themselves evangelicals, evangelical, or I'm, I'm sorry, who called themselves fundamentalists. The term fundamentalist has since taken on quite a taint. It's associated with extremism. It's associated with rigidity. It's, it, we, we talk, for example, about free market fundamentalists, and what we mean is people who are ideology-driven, who kind of aren't open to nuance or to questions. And so at this point... Fairly few people would identify with the term fundamentalist. On the other hand, what those early fundamentalists laid out has been adopted pretty much intact by modern evangelicals. And um, if you'd like, I can go over kind of what, what those basic beliefs are. Yeah. That'd be was, was there really a defining moment or series of events which culminated into something which really made you turn direction? That's an interesting question. I would say I would have to answer it both yes and no. No in the sense that I, from adolescence on, I was struggling to hold together what I think of now as a lot of kind of intellectual and moral inconsistencies and things that just didn't make sense to me. Even as a teenager, how is it that um, my Mormon friend Kay is the nicest, most moral person I know, and yet, as I understand it, she's to spend eternity tortured. Mm. Um, you know, why is it that there are people starving on the other side of the world, and yet um, my friends think that God cares whether they get an A on their biology test and are giving thanks for that, and or that God takes sides in our school's football games uh, you know so there were those kinds of questions stirring and over the course of my time in high school and then at Wheaton College where I went by my own choice and was it kind of immersed in a, an, an evangelical community I would say that I was quietly evolving a more and more idiosyncratic form of Christian faith in an, in an effort to put all of those pieces together there was, though, an incident that kind of triggered my, triggered my final departure from the umbrella of Christianity. When I was uh, at, at the end of my graduate training, I, uh, um, be I moved to Seattle where I began an internship in psychology at the University of Washington Medical School. And as part of that psychology internship, I was... I took a rotation on what's called the consult liaison service at Children's Hospital where I was working with, as were the other interns on my rotation, working with families who had children with serious medical issues and um, who were needing psychological support because of that. One of the families that I was assigned had a two-year-old with a spinal cord tumor. By the time they realized what was going on, he was already paraplegic and would remain so regardless of what they did and the family was struggling they were 
incredibly nurturing, loving hippies, essentially, who wanted to just take him home and love him. And the hospital was saying, you can't do that. We need to subject him to radiation and to all of these other procedures, which have a low probability of success, but, but potentially could be life-saving. And in that context um, of kind of that struggle and this child's suffering and the family's suffering, I was again brought face-to-face with the problem of pain and um, listening to other people's rationalizations of it, looking back through my books at C.S. Lewis's er, book, The Problem mm-hmm. of Pain, kind of there's, um, was it Kirshner's book, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, and all of it rang hollow for me. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it talked about kind of trying to justify this child's pain in terms of benefit to other people, trying to, which, which is a violation if not of goodness, certainly of justice. Um, it talked about, they, they kind of offered all of these kind of comforting platitudes that ultimately kind of felt like comforting platitudes. And as I listened to that, I think what happened is that something changed for me emotionally. I had been struggling for, um, for years to basically make excuses for God. And I got, I think I got angry. And I said, I'm not making excuses for you anymore. And as soon as I stopped trying so hard, it, it all fell apart. Thank you so much. You were you were about to say something about the basic some of the basic beliefs of evangelicals. I would be concerned specifically about that in terms of how those beliefs are associated with the difficulties that you perceive in that position. And we're really going to be getting to that in the next segment of our show. I'd like to remind our listeners that you can participate in this conversation. Uh, You can reach us at 425-373-5527. And we will be continuing with Valerie Tirico and talking about her experience as an evangelical and her experience as a spiritual non-theist. Stay tuned. Commonly known as NICO, Northwest Interfaith Community Outreach traces its history to the first anniversary of 9-11. Committed to promoting interfaith dialogue and understanding, its purpose is captured in its mission statement. Celebrating spirit through interfaith collaboration and compassionate works of justice in the world. For information on how to get involved, go to interfaithtalkradio.com and click on NICO. Church of Christ wants you to know about the God is Still Speaking campaign, a national effort to let everyone know that this denomination welcomes everyone, no matter what, to the worship of God and the service of the church. We believe that God has much, much more to tell us about the good news of the gospel of Jesus and about what love can do to help us with this beautiful but troubled world. To find out more, log on to www.ucc.org slash index.php. We wish you blessings for your life. Called the Oprah of Radio by her listeners. Award-winning host Dr. Pat Basile is blowing the doors off of traditional talk radio. Get ready for an energizing delivery and powerful interviews with leaders in the field of human potential. Dr. Pat's fresh new perspective on living life full out has catapulted her show to the top of talk radio. Tune in and Dr. Pat will help you thrive instead of merely survive. Visit the drpatshow.com. That's T-H-E-D-R-Pat-Show.com for listening times in your area. 
The Rocky Mountain Mystery School is here to open the doors for all who seek greater empowerment and meaning in life. It holds and teaches the keys to hidden knowledge, wisdom, and tools of power of the ages. We offer ancient teachings for modern times to all true seekers and will be in Seattle November 8th through the 12th to bring these tools to you. Go to MysterySchoolNW.com for more information. That's MysterySchoolNW.com. Time Magazine says NLP has untapped potential for treating individual problems and is becoming an all-purpose self-improvement program and technology. Come experience NLP for yourself at the Empowerment Partnerships Accelerated NLP Practitioner Training in Seattle, Washington, October 8th through the 14th. Since 1982, the Empowerment Partnership has taught thousands of people like you create critical transformations in areas that count most. Relationships, health, wealth, and state of mind. If you want to increase your creative energy, get control of your life, and enjoy new levels of existence, call 1-800-800-MIND. That's 1-800-800-MIND. Or go to NLP.com. That's NLP.com. Mention the Dr. Pat Show when you call to receive a special discount. No other station brings you this much variety. Welcome to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And welcome back to Interfaith Talk Radio. We are talking today with Valerie Tarico, a psychologist, a spiritual non-theist, uh, and a new author of a book called The Dark Side, How Evangelical Teachings Corrupt Love and Truth. And this is a just-published book, so it won't be available at Amazon and, and at other booksellers for a few weeks yet. It is available now at a website called lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com, forward slash Tarico, T-A-R-I-C-O. And we'll have that information on our website at interfaithtalkradio.com shortly after the show is over. And I understand that we have a phone call. We do. We've got Margaret on the line. Hi there. Hi, Margaret. Well, I'm trying to think of something really intelligent to ask, and it's not working. So I just want to say I really appreciate that there is someone like like you out there talking about this very issue. I was a holy roller Christian for a few years, and um, I remember just sitting in church. I was in my early 20s. And I would sit there thinking to myself, if my grandmother ever saw me in here, she would just be aghast. Mm -hmm. She would be appalled because of the behavior of the people in there. It was just, it was mm -hmm. rather unbelievable. So and they were casting out demons out of people. And, and I thought, you know, after I saw that a few times, I thought, you know, this seems more like a circus show. I think they could probably cast the demons out of anyone. Mm -hmm. And I'm in... Not only that, but the you know the the way they talked to me and the way they talked to the other people who had more money and the way they treated people who had more money for tithing was completely different than me. I was a welfare mom, mm. and they were always telling me, you know, you're not you're not doing this with your child, you're not doing that, and you know, I'm. Well, so it sounds like some of your experience uh, and some of Valerie's experience have some commonalities, Margaret. I'm really. Yeah, I mean, I think basically 
actually, you know, if you want bread, that's what I figured out. If you want bread, you go to the bread store. You know, if you want sugar, you go to the sugar store, whatever. And if you want what they have to serve, it's like they have a certain menu. And if you don't want that, you better not go because you're not going to get anything different. Right. And we are going to be, thanks, Margaret, we're going to be... You know, Margaret, I also really appreciate your calling in to comment on your experience because as I've started writing and talking about my experiences, what I find is that there are many, many people um, in our communities who have been a part of some form of fundamentalist Christianity and having come out of that very often have the sense that they are the only one and have stayed silent about it sometimes for years. It's in. It's interesting that sometimes new technologies create new communities and both radio like talk radio like this and also the Internet are is giving people who have emerged from fundamentalism an opportunity to finally find their voice and to share their experiences with each other as part of what I think of as a healing process. So thank you for calling. Thank you, Margaret. I'd, <clears throat> I'd, I'd like to. Um, get back to the kind of the fundamentals of fundamentalism or the fundamentals of evangelical Christianity and how you see the fundamentals uh, damaging to human beings. People ask me, what are you talking about when you talk about evangelical Christianity and how is that related to fundamentalism? As I said before, I'm going to to pretty much use the terms interchangeably because evangelicals have taken on that old fundamentalist identity. What evangelicals believe, basically, is this, that there is one God who's unchangeable, eternal, perfect, and interventionist, meaning he kind of breaks the laws of nature to kind of help out his, his beloved, that this one God consists of three persons, a Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, that humans are made in the image of God but are inherently evil. Um, thanks to the b- bad behavior of Adam and Eve. That each human has an eternal soul that remains conscious individually in the afterlife and will spend eternity in either heaven or hell. Um, that because of sin, the eternal soul of each human is alienated from God for eternity. From birth, humans are utterly depraved, as Mars Hill says, and destined to, hill, destined to hell. Sorry, that the perfect blood sacrifice could restore the relationship between God and humans, but only Jesus Christ, God incarnate, is or was perfect enough to become this sacrifice, which he did. The sacrifice of the human God Jesus restores a pure relation between God and humans only if humans believe in and accept this substitutionary atonement. Jesus will return to earth in immortal but human form and will take all real Christians to live with him eternally. The world as we know it will end. So that, that belief structure then is accompanied by some other beliefs about kind of what it means to kind of live as a Christian. And that is that God cares about individual human beings. He intervenes in the course of nature in response to their prayers. That God performs miracles, meaning that he makes exceptions to the laws of physics, biology, and so forth. And that the way that we know all of this is because God made one perfect sacred disclosure of himself to humankind and that 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 the bible is that disclosure so people who were raised catholic or who were raised in other forms of christian orthodoxy listen to those beliefs and they say well yeah i mean that's sounds very familiar to me that's pretty much what i was raised on too and in fact what most evangelicals christians don't know is that their belief structure was largely inherited from catholicism um my i when my mother read that in my book she said 
are you sure? I thought there was this kind of real Christianity that existed alongside of, of, of Catholicism. And I said, Mom, here's like here's the kind of genetic tree. Basically, your Christianity comes out of you know other mainline Protestantism, which comes out of Catholicism. And she didn't believe me really, so she asked someone from her own church, a brethren church, who said, "Yep, that's the way it worked." Um, there are even so even though mostly evangelicalism is based on on some inherited beliefs, which now some of the more traditional forms of Christianity that have an institutional history and memory have started questioning. Um, evangelicals are also different from other Orthodox Christians in some key ways. One is, and I'll kind of say, one is their kind of their unique emphasis on what I would call the Great Commission over the Great Commandment. So the Great Commandment is was what Christians call um, what Jesus said when when one of the the teachers of the Jews came to him and said, "What is the greatest of all the commandments?" And he said, "You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind." And the second commandment is like unto it, meaning it's how how do you know that you're doing that? You love your neighbor as yourself. That is the great commandment um the great commission is um the name that's given to a verse in the new testament which says go into all the world and baptize and preach the gospel to every creature baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy ghost and i'm kind of conflating several verses there that basically say the same thing um but the emphasis on great commission instead of great commandment has tremendous moral social and political implications for evangelicals that sometimes put them at odds with other forms of christianity a second kind of key differentiator is what um is, is biblical inerrancy. And when what I mean by biblical inerrancy is the belief that the Bible is literally perfect, that it was essentially dictated by God to the authors, and that everything in it is valuable teaching, that it was it's a direct message from God to humankind. Um, again, there are several implications of that. The Bible has tremendous horrors in it along with tremendous wisdom it 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 condones genocide in the old testament the the kind of the hebrew people are given permission to kill no person is too elderly no slave is too weak no baby is too innocent but they're allowed to keep virgin girls for themselves um there are there there's kind of so there's there's sexism there are all kinds of really ugly kinds of tribal mythologies in there that if you believe that the bible is literally perfect in its entirely then provide a basis for similar kinds of behavior on the part of modern christians and have frankly throughout history um so so it's interesting that some modernist Christians have actually begun to challenge us explicitly, um, p- calling out, as John Shelby Spong calls them, the sins of Scripture, or using the term bibliolatry to kind of give voice to the fact that evangelicals are actually kind of taking something that was created by human hands that's intended to try and reflect something that is so magnificent it's beyond comprehension, and then giving it the attributes of God himself. Um, the third way that, that evangelical Christians are different from other Christians, traditionally even, is that there's this increasing focus on what's called dispensationalism or end times theology. The idea that the book of Revelation has this blueprint and then for what is coming down the road and that it's interpreted then in a very specific way um, that says basically Jesus will come soon true christians are going to be bodily removed from the planet this will trigger uh by will be triggered by a certain configuration of events in the middle east um some world leader is going to emerge who's actually the embodiment of satan and all of this is 
going to happen soon and the world will end in a bloodbath. Uh, um, a- again, um, there are significant implications that include a complete, uh, on the part of some, an indifference to ecological decline and population explosion. They're spending millions of dollars a year to send Jews to Israel, um, ironically, in the hope that then they will be consumed by the, um, by the warfare there. Um, there are they, it leads to the endorsement of conflict promoting foreign policies it desensitizes people to violence against non-believers because if that's what god has scripted well that's what god has scripted you know valerie when you're talking about the great commission versus the great commandment i'm struck by the role of the ego in such a thing where as i think about it my ego is at least has the there's the um possibility that my ego will be fulfilled by that great commission everybody's going to be like me so that supports my sense of my self-worth whereas the great commandment is about being one and that means community and that means uh, the ego has a different role from being the imperial to something that's much more cooperative and compassionate and so forth and uh, i'd never thought before about how those two things might work in my experience versus the experience of a fundamentalist, and I appreciate you talking about that. You know, if you go into Overlake Christian Church, there's, there's a huge script on the wall, and it is not the Great Commandment. It's the Great Commission. Um, if you look after the, um, after the tsunami that, that was so horrific, uh, um, w- w- there were, I went to the Mars Hill website, and their website said, you know, this is tragic, it's troubling to all of us, and a grief, what can you do? Pray for the people who were impacted by the tsunami. Number two is give to Mars Hill Church. Number three is give to our church building enterprises in India. So what happened is, because of the primacy of this commandment, because of the primacy of organization building and proselytizing and winning converts, the kind of very powerful impulse of of compassion and love that people experienced toward the victims of this disaster got redirected into kind of gathering support for building a, a, a greater and greater empire of believers. Seems how <clears throat> energies of compassion in our country and in the entire world sometimes get trumped by a focus on some kind of military justice and some kind of retribution that somehow is supposed to make everything okay. We're having a dialogue with Dr. Valerie Tarico, a spiritual non-theist whose recent book called The Dark Side, How Evangelical Teachings Corrupt Love and Truth, is creates a space for a good deal of healing conversation. And we'll be back in a few moments. Unity of Bellevue is an inclusive community for spiritual growth, where all are valued, where positive attitudes are developed, where spiritual laws of life are taught, where consciousness is cultivated, where self-awareness is enhanced, and where the bonds of fellowship are enriched. Join us for our Sunday celebrations on Bellevue's East Side. Visit our website at www.unityofbellevue.org. NCD 
a new oral detoxification product that reduces the effects of environmental toxicity and can help millions across the globe. Natural Cellular Defense is an effective oral detoxifier, a tool in the fight against toxicity. Join our Copious Health team to raise awareness about environmental toxicity and this safe new product. Go to copioushealth.com or call 206-423-6596. That's 206-423-6596. Copioushealth.com. Finally, a negotiation seminar designed specifically for women. Whether you're stuck asking for a raise, seeking a promotion, or simply want to go to the movie that you want to see once in a while, this groundbreaking seminar with Lee Miller, based on his best-selling book, A Woman's Guide to Successful Negotiating, is coming to Seattle on October 19th. Stop feeling powerless and victimized by people because you don't know how to ask for what you want. Learn three keys to successful negotiating, ten most common mistakes women make, body language that impresses, six ways to influence anyone, things never to do when negotiating with a man, and more. Call 1-800-599-4950 or go to srinstitute.com forward slash CO209. That number again, 1-800-599-4950 or srinstitute.com forward slash CO209. Many people who come to a Unity Church feel like they've come home. We invite you to one of the many great Puget Sound Unity Churches in Bellevue, Edgewood, Kent, Linwood, Seattle, or Woodenville. For links to these Unity Churches and others, visit unity.org. We welcome you to join us at Unity of Woodenville. Visit unityofwoodenville.org. Open your ears, open your heart, open your mind. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And welcome back to Interfaith Talk Radio. Uh, deepening dialogue on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. On an expansion of interfaith understanding and our shared spiritual quest. We are a rabbi, a Muslim minister, and a Christian pastor. I am Rabbi Ted Falcon from Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue. I'm Brother Jamal Rahman from Interfaith Community Church. And I'm Pastor Don McKenzie of University Congregational United Church of Christ. And among other things, we've been learning that we are raising topics much larger than an hour can contain. So we are hoping that each time we encounter a topic that we've already addressed, that we can go deeper into some of the implications of it. I'd like to take a moment to mention that Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue is a community where universal teachings rooted in Jewish tradition support a greater spiritual journey for all who attend. It's a place dedicated to the spiritual evolution of everyone. And this coming Sunday night is the holiest day of the Jewish year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Our worship begins at 7 o'clock. Our services are held at Unity of Bellevue, and you can find more information about that at our website, interfaithtalkradio.com, or at our congregation's website, jewishspiritualcommunity.com. 
I asked Valerie during our last break whether there's something more that she would like to express given the limitations of our time and she mentioned the in particular the, to focus on some of the distortions of morality that the fundamentalist and evangelical point of view support there as a psychologist looking at the way that fundamentalist religion evangelical christianity um, alters somebody's worldview there are a number of things that we know to be true about kind of human social behavior and human perceptions that get distorted um, by fundamentalist thinking one is the assumption that morality comes from God and from the Bible and so people who are not born-again Christians have nothing of value to say on those topics in some ways for me as an ex-fundamentalist it's still extraordinary that I'm sitting here among three faith leaders who believe that I actually might have something of value to say mm. on these topics um, but but you know for example in in my recently I, I as a part of my research I went to visit a local megachurch Mars Hill and the minister there was talking about the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ and he said if the resurrection didn't happen I'm paraphrasing him if the resurrection didn't happen there is no reason for us to be here if the resurrection didn't happen there would be better things to do there are, there are um, parties to be had there are drugs to be had there are women to be had there are guns to shoot there are people to shoot and um the congregation laughed and i sat there as uh, as a non-believer thinking what are you saying about the rest of us I mean, if your belief in the literal resurrection is the only thing that stands between you and debauchery and violence i'm really really glad you believe in it um but 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 kind of it's, it's this kind of subtle ugliness that just under the surface what it does is it diminishes the morality and the capacity of other people to love and to create to care about justice and goodness um, one of the things we know from psychology is that when people kind of have what's called a just world hypothesis when they think that things are fair and fundamentalist christianity creates the sense that well people people get what they deserve um and that it, they must because god's in control and god intervenes when he wants to and so if something bad happens to you know, God chose not to kind of prevent it or God chose to let it happen or whatever. Um, when people kind of have a just world belief system, we know from research data that they are less likely to work on creating a more just world. That when um, they kind of believe that, that kind of when they kind of make those adjustments so that in their minds it's fair, then they, it, it impairs their compassion and their need to kind of reach out and to make things better for other people. Um, and that's I think that probably speaks to what it was that put me on a path to be speaking out about these issues um, that that what I see is the power of this fundamentalism to um, undermine genuine compassion and the quest for truth. Houston Smith, um, who's a scholar of world religion, says that the world's great wisdom traditions and religions converge on three values humility charity and veracity humility being our ability to see ourselves as just one among many other people um, 
charity, meaning love, the ability to kind of see others as equally worthy about as ourselves, to care about their pain like we care about our, our own, to care about their delight like we care about our own. And veracity, meaning truth-seeking and truth-telling, the honest kind of quest for knowledge that lets us look at our failings, that lets us look at the limitations of what we don't know. When I look at the kind of Christianity that I grew up in, it, it impairs all three. Mm-hmm. Valerie, I, I appreciate your using the resurrection as an illustration because I'd say that that's even an issue in my congregation that on Easter Sunday you know we come together once a year and people I think say to themselves what am I supposed to believe on this day and you know we preach about it and so forth but you know what what I would like people to think about is that the source of the universe the creator of the universe has the power and is willing to use it to recreate us Anytime, and to use forgiveness as a tool for that kind of healing. I like the story of the resurrection, but part of my the thing I like about it best is that the women believed it and the men didn't. So <laughs> that's an aside, but I mean, the, literally, the, the men said this is an idle tale. But it was Mary Magdalene who, hearing her voice, so to speak, I mean, this is this is a story that's meant to convey the truth I'm describing here. That resurrection is a word that points to something that's almost impossible to describe in words. Um, but the idea, as I said, that, that the creator of the universe can really recreate us through forgiveness and healing. At a mythic level, it is a beautiful, transcendent story with a power to inspire. And it's when it becomes, when people hold themselves and others to it as a literal truth, that it then has the power to be harmful. But I wanted to ask you, it's also important you tell us uh, what was that, something beautiful which came out of an evangelical experience mm. in your life. Something of beauty. I've thought about that. And I think there are actually, that the very values that, that provoked me to write this book um, drove themselves into my psyche as a child, as an evangelical child, and come out of the Christian tradition. The love of love and the love of truth which is why the title of my book says how evangelical teachings corrupt love and truth i was taught that god is the god of love that that is the defining quality of god and that god is the god of truth in contrast to satan the father of lies and it was when i kind of pursued those core attributes of what i understood to be the nature of divinity that i came to feel that the evangelical teachings the dogmas that i was raised in actually violated the very spirit of the God I was taught to worship. Mm. We have just a couple of minutes left, and we've been concluding our show with uh, spiritual practice, like offering our listeners something that they might find useful in their in their own spiritual journey. And I wondered, Valerie, as a spiritual non-theist, we really haven't explored that very much, but as a spiritual non-theist, whether in a minute you'd have something to share which could support a spiritual journey of those who are listening. Thank you, yes. You know, one of the verses that I learned in the New Testament as a child says, pray without ceasing. 
And I was taught that what that meant is to be in constant communion with God, not that you're kind of constantly having your hands folded or constantly in a dialogue or conversation, but that you're constantly trying to walk with and honor the spirit of love and truth. And that is something that continues to be a part of my spiritual practice as a non-theist, um, at, which is kind of to think about in the, in the small things in your day-to-day living, kind of what is it that you can do to honor and to, um, to, to, fur- to nurture those deepest values and priorities. Um, one, again, one of the early fathers of the Christian church, I don't remember who it was, said, he who would do small, he who would do good must do so in small particulars. And that has been one of my guiding truths as I've kind of, throughout my trans- transition f- from fundamentalism to where I am now. Thank you, Valerie. We've been talking to Valerie Tarico. You can learn more about her book at interfaithtalkradio.com. Next week, we air on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. We'll be talking about our relationship to God. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.